0: Uh, Well, not too long ago, I went to the car wash to get my car washed. And afterwards, I I used the vacuum. They have these little bays with the vacuums. I was vacuuming my car out, and I noticed across on the bay next door, there was a a young mom who was cleaning out her car as well, and one of her toddler's shoes was outside the car uh, on the curb. It had fallen there on the ground, or I don't know, maybe the child had thrown it out the window. Um, that happened to us many times when our, we had toddlers. I'm not sure how it got there, but there it was. This toddler shoe was there on the ground, and and the mom was just sitting down in the driver's seat and was about to pull away. So, so I dropped my vacuum. I ran over. I picked up that shoe and I tapped on the window and I said, "Look, there's a there's a shoe there." And sh- and and I said, "You know, excuse me, did you drop this?" And she was very thankful. She picked it up and and went on her way and. It's just this, this reality that we, we drop things all, all the time, right? Almost on a daily basis, we're dropping things and picking them up again and um, kind of sets the tone for what we're, where we're going this morning, the passage we're looking at this morning. It's a, it's a story of what it looks like to drop something that we don't often think of dropping. Um, we're going to hear the story of someone who dropped their rights the rights that they were entitled to in order to pick up God's call. Um, so we've been in a series called "Growing Pains." We're making our way through the book of First Corinthians, um, and uh, we're learning in the process what growing up from a spiritual perspective looks like. And so we're up to chapter nine this morning, and. Uh, Chapter 9 kind of hopscotch is at a lot of different topics that we'll be just jumping in and out of, but there's this overall theme um, that I just want to share with you up front that, uh, that basically is the story about what happens when one person's undeniable rights collide with God's overwhelming call. What happens uh, that's we're gonna. That's what we're gonna see, uh, because the reality is they can't both be held together at the same time. One has got to drop, and be pushed to the side. And maturity is a matter of knowing which to drop and which to hold on to. Uh, so, so I need to set up the scene before we jump into the passage this morning. Um, this is a. The, 1 Corinthians is is the book that um, the Apostle Paul wrote. It's actually a letter. And in this part of the letter, he's on defense. Uh, He has been on the receiving end of criticism from his so-called Corinthian friends, these guys that he's poured his life out to. And maybe you can relate, right, because there are people in all of our lives, that uh, you love on them, and you invest in them, and you pour yourself out for them, and then you turn around and find that they're taking shots at you. They're talking behind your back. That's what was happening to Paul here. And, you know, sometimes that's just the way it is. It's just a part of the growth process, and um, and this is just a part of it. So So in this case, Um, the Corinthians had consigned Paul to the status of a second-string teacher. That's how they saw him. They saw him as a part-time apostle. Because unlike the other traveling teachers and church leaders who made their way through Corinth, Paul hadn't been drawing a salary from the church. Okay, So the norm, the others, they would all rely on what was called patronage. Uh, that's an ancient practice where a family who had the means uh, would, 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 would come and welcome the teacher in. He'd provide them with food and with housing and a wage. And along with that, there was this expectation that the teacher would use his platform, his teaching, uh, to also promote the family's reputation. And also champion whatever agenda that host family had in mind to further. You see, there's a little bit of strings attached and, you know, a lot of churches work that way uh, as well. I, I learned way back in seminary, they told you that uh, if you're a pastor and you're candidating at a church, you have to go beyond just finding out who the official leaders uh, are of the church. You got to find out who they are, but in addition, most churches often have unofficial leaders or influencers, right, who they need to be identified as well because many times what happens is they'll underwrite the ministry uh, with, with sizable donations, but there's strings attached, right? The, they're they're going to have an agenda that they want to be promoted. Do this. Start that. Hire him. Let that slide. Or else, if you don't, It's this unspoken expectation. The funding may just start drying up. Um, So so that was kind of the the challenge in Corinth. That was the root cause, actually, of many of the problems that their church was wrestling through. And so Paul, he decided up front that he was going to steer clear of all that, and he just decided he was going to take a job. He took a job working as a tent maker instead of receiving their patronage. You can read about it in Acts 18. Uh, but what it comes down to is that, in addition to writing two thirds of the New Testament, in addition to planting churches all over the Roman Empire, in addition to helping these Corinthians get started on their spiritual walk and their faith, Paul also worked a job, and in return his friends in corinthians typecast him as second string second string cuz in their minds the only reason they could imagine that he wouldn't receive their patronage was that he must not have what it takes to make it as a pro like all the other teachers so okay so that's the situation that's what that's what we're jumping into in this passage and this passage then is paul kind of setting the record straight At the same time, though, here's the challenge, he's also trying to shepherd these Corinthian friends that he cares for and loves so deeply at the same time. And so in the process, what we see is we just get this front row seat to watch how it happens, to see how he does it, and we get to understand what it is that drove this guy Paul, what he was all about, what mattered most to him. And so that's what we're going to be um, diving into. But what we're going to find out, just you know up front, is that he was all about making Jesus known. That's pretty much sums up everything that mattered to him, is making Jesus known. He didn't care about being famous. He didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care about whether he got paid or not. His singular concern was to carry out the call of God, to do whatever it took for people to hear and to respond to this glorious message that we call the gospel or the good news of God's amazing grace that, that through the redeeming work of Jesus and what he did on the cross, God is making people right with himself, reconciling them back to himself and restoring that relationship that, that sin had severed. So so that message, it just meant everything to him. And everything else, including his rights, the things that he was entitled to, he's he's held loosely in his hands. And so so we're going to listen in as Paul first contends for the rights that the Corinthians uh, didn't think he really qualified for. So I'm going to read the first 12 verses, and you can feel free to just follow on the screen behind me. It says this, "'Am I not free?' Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus, our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? If what was written for our sake, because the plowman should not plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing a crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Okay, so let's stop here and uh, you just look at this passage. You see, Paul is just firing off questions. Fifteen questions we just looked at in just 12 verses. And the questions are what you would call rhetorical questions. And that just means that these are not difficult questions. They're not trick questions. They're not like the kind of questions you'd find on a pop quiz that you have to have studied all night the, the night before to get right these questions, the answers to them would have been obvious to those he's writing to. And so he asks the question, am I not free? The answer is, of course he is. Am I not an apostle? They they knew he was. They had, they had heard of how Jesus met him on the Damascus Road and how he basically just blew up Paul's entire life plan and shifted gears entirely. And, and even if there were some in other places who might doubt his his authenticity, he knew the Corinthians couldn't because they owed their spiritual life to him. Paul's the one who personally led them to Christ. He planted the church that they belonged to. And so there was was nothing second string about the investment he had made in their lives. And so he reminds them, guys, we're entitled to the same rights as all the other apostles, all the bigwigs. He says, I have the right to eat and to drink whatever I want. And what that means in that context is like, I am free to order the side of bacon off the menu, right? Because he's Jewish. And, uh, and so he's like, I'll order the bacon. I can make it a double. Uh, he says, we have the same right as Cephas, who is Peter and the other apostles. I can marry a believing wife. And the implication is that the fact that he wasn't married... And that at times he chose not to eat the bacon. None of that was because he was second string. Um, something else was driving his actions. And then from there, he, he addresses the job issue. He, he asserts, guys, it's well within my rights to oblige you to compensate me monetarily for how I've served you spiritually. Uh, and he shares a whole bunch of analogies soldiers. They don't, if you're a soldier, you don't pay your own expenses when you sign up for the military, right? If you work a vineyard, you tend not to go to the grocery store to buy grapes. And if you own cows, you're pretty well supplied with milk. And so the idea is that he's saying, guys, when you look at me and you see me doing this side job, making tents, it's not because I have to. Something else is driving that. And It doesn't stop there. He keeps on pressing this point. He says, all right, guys, if you still are not convinced, let's open up the Bible together. He opens it up to the Old Testament and shares this quote from Deuteronomy. Keep the muzzle off the ox when he's working the field. So the idea is let the beast, the farm animal, take a bite every now and then as he's doing the work. And the idea is that if that applies to a simple farm animal, then... The same principle applies even all the more to the work of ministry. Okay, so let's just hit the pause button for a moment. Um, Let's talk about this issue of of funding and ministry. How does it happen? What is the connection? Um, You know, we live in a world, we live in a consumeristic society, right? The, The goal of consumerism, if you look at the definition, it's something like this. Spend the least to get the most. That's the goal of consumerism. And that might work when you walk into the grocery store. But you don't want to bring that kind of attitude, that kind of mindset into the local church, please. Reason being is that church is not a commodity to consume. It's a community to belong to. And it looks very different. And so and so maybe we can ask the question. Have you ever asked the question, actually, how much is having a healthy church, healthy local church, how much is that worth? What, what kind of price tag would you put on that? On having an extended spiritual family to belong to, a, a place to come and gather and worship together, a place to fellowship, a, a place to grow spiritually, a place to learn, a place where you can, you can invite friends to a place where you can find the grace that you need to work through some of the challenges that you're, that you're wrestling with, a, a place where truth gets spoken in a world that's surrounded with lies, a place that's a lighthouse to the community that's engaged and involved. And That's just the short list. There's so much more, and the question is, what is that, what is that worth? You know, every, every church is a church in progress, just like people, right? This church is no exception, but I probably don't have to tell you if you've spent any time in this area that healthy churches are not a common thing. It's a fairly rare commodity, at least around these parts. And if you look at how needed is a healthy church in the community that we're in, in this place, in this part of the world, in this part of the country, in this part of... New York, the need is great. It's tremendous. And so, and so with that, I have zero reservations to unapologetically call each of us to invest deeply. Invest deeply here. Your, that means your time, it means your talents, and it means your treasures. And material resources, uh, they're essential to keeping any ministry afloat, going, maturing, and moving. And, and this is a reality that sometimes people don't understand this. God designed it that way, right? And so sometimes we can get so spiritual and we say, you know, the funds we needed, all we got to do is pray. It's kind of like manna from the sky, right? All we got to do is pray and the funds are going to just show up, fall from the sky. That's, that's not the expectation um, that's ever set in the word of God. Um, The Lord has set the expectation. It's more like this. The resources needed have already been provided. All of them and more, you know where they are? He's placed them already in the wallets and the pocketbooks of those who are here and call this church home. Okay? And so that means that it's up to each of us to take that step and release those resources, extend them, what he's blessed you with, and not keep them back and not withhold them. That's, that's how it works, and it matters. It matters more than you might imagine, more than it might show on a Sunday morning. Okay, what we're getting at here, though, is just like us, Paul had some rights some undeniable rights that he's fighting for. And he was fully entitled to these rights, to lay claim on them and exercise them. And he's standing up here for his rights when they're being questioned by his opponents. And so far, that probably sounds pretty good, right? That's kind of sending chills up our backs. This is the classic patriotic American story. We love these We love fighting for our rights in the good old U.S. of A. You can almost hear the bugle in the background, right? Um, And that's kind of what makes the next words so surprising. He's going to go on and inform his friends that all of these rights that he's just laid out, that are his, that he's entitled to, he's voluntarily chosen to drop them to the ground to set them aside for the sake of the gospel. Here's what it says, and continuing on, it says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, so, so, so Paul is making the point um, that it's his choice to lay down his rights; that no one's forcing him to do this. It's not being pushed on him. As a matter of fact, if anything, the Corinthians would have preferred that he receive their patronage, because then, you know, he'd be like their puppet on a string. But he knew that wasn't the best move. Uh, That would only make matters worse and he didn't want to be seen as taking a side so he lets go of what he's entitled to and he says i'm just going to provide for myself by making tents and 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 i love that he articulates the filter this is the filter through which he is processing his decisions through of what he chooses to do and what he chooses not to do i'm going to read it again we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That's the determining factor for the decisions that he's making. I'll do something or I won't do something based on how it impacts the gospel. And let that be the mark of maturity, recognizing that there are some things that are worth setting our rights aside for. There are greater realities that matter more than me getting what I'm entitled to. Is there space in your life and your paradigm for that? This is an invitation into the call of God that starts with the gospel. And the gospel is the greater reality. The gospel mattered more to Paul then, and it matters just as much to us today. The gospel is God's message. It explains the way that he's made for broken, sinful people to be reconciled back to himself through the cross of Jesus. The cross is the way. um, It's not just a way. And so we talk about the message of the gospel. I don't want you to mix it up and confuse it and mistake it for the message of religion. The gospel is about Jesus and all he did on the cross for us. Religion is about us and all that we need to do to try to make ourselves right with God. Very different, right? So the message of religion is be good enough a person. Do enough good deeds. Go to church, give blood, serve your country, eat vegan. I don't know what it is, but there's some way that you can do something and earn your way to God's approval, but whatever it is, the religion says you can do it. You can make yourself right if you just put in enough effort. The gospel says it doesn't matter what we do, and no matter how hard we try, sinful people are never able to make themselves right to the holy God. If we could, then Jesus would never have had to leave heaven and enter into this broken down planet and live and die on the cross. But that's exactly what he did because that's exactly what it took. He came, he lived the perfect life that none of us ever did. And he went to the cross and he died as the perfect sacrifice in our place to pay the price in full for our sin. And the good news is that Jesus did for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. He achieved our salvation so we can receive his salvation. Not by working for it, but by receiving it as a free gift, by by responding in faith and believing personally that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me. Or as John 3.16 so aptly puts it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. It's a matter of life and death, this message of the gospel. That's why it matters more. And so let me ask you, have you responded in faith to that message? If you haven't, I want to urge you to let today be that day. Open up your heart to him. Let Jesus in and take that first step of faith and let that journey of new life with him start. See, no one else has ever done for you what Jesus did. You can look at the religious leaders of the world. Buddha didn't die for you. Muhammad didn't die for you. Um, That's why that simple message of the gospel matters more. And if you're a seeker here this morning and you're just kind of like checking this whole thing out, that might sound strange. It might sound strange that any message could matter that much it does. And what the reason being is that like, if you're a Christ follower, you understand this is not a gathering of just good people, right? And we're just trying to convince everybody else to be good like we are. We are a gathering of broken people who have been forgiven, reconciled, and restored, we've experienced the amazing grace of God. And we want that for everyone. We want to show whoever we can, any way we can, about how good, not we are, but how good Jesus is. So that's what Paul is laying out here, and he goes on to explain that he has actually rearranged his entire life to share this gospel and make Jesus known. He says this, I have... But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground of boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward?" that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Okay, so we'll stop here. And uh, What what Paul's explaining here as the story continues is that his decision to forego getting paid, that that was just simply an outworking of God's call on his life. Um, Take note. Number one, God has a call on your life. And the call of God will always eclipse individual rights. Always. So he tells them, basically, truth is, I really didn't have a choice in the matter. Guys, the Lord put a call on my life to preach the gospel, and I'm just carrying it out. I'm doing what he told me to do. And it's a reminder for us, don't confuse God's call for a career path. They may be the same, they may not be, but ministry is never a way to make ends meet. Uh, it's not about positions. It's not about getting rich. It's not about being successful. It's not even about being appreciated by those that you're ministering to. Got to watch out and beware of uh, trying to apply worldly templates to the call of God. There's only one response to the call of God, and it's to obey do what God called you to do. That's what Paul is modeling here. That's what I'm doing. And whatever it is that God has called you to do, follow suit and do the same. And if you happen to be in a place where you often get to this place where we're just kind of trying to discern, trying to figure out what is it God has called me to do, It's a challenging question, but there's some insights I think we can gather here from what we see. Uh, The first is that it starts out with the heart of God. Uh, God will pour his passion for something, his kingdom purposes, something about making Jesus known that he wants, he's going to pour that into your heart. And that passion is going to make its way from his heart into yours and then from your heart into others. So the call of God is is going to be other centered. It's not just about me, it's about ministry. It's about blessing and building others up. And the th- third thing we see here is the call of God is not something you can put a price tag on. So don't ever try to measure the call of God by dollars and cents. It will shipwreck your it will shipwreck your your passion for the Lord. There will be times when it will seem absolutely ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous from a dollar and cent standpoint, what you're putting in for the sake of God's call and what you're getting out of it. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, that's, that's not a bad thing. It goes beyond Dollars and cents. When you are tapped into the heart of God, when you're pouring yourself out for others, when you're doing what you're doing for a purpose that goes beyond a paycheck, pay attention, because what you're doing is a good chance you are you are closing into something God is calling you to. And keep moving. You're tapping into the purpose God has put you on this planet for to accomplish. And and when you do. Is worthwhile taking stock of your life? How can I reorder my life around that call to carry it out the best way I can? That's that's what Paul is going to go on and describe. Here's what it looked like for him. It says, This for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more, more to more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew. in its blessing. All right, so what we're seeing here as this story is continuing to unfold is that Paul and his decision not to be compensated, that wasn't the only example of him dropping his rights. That was just one of many of the ways that his passion to share Christ played out in his life on a daily basis. And so he knows what the goal is. The goal is to win people to Christ. Sharing Christ is the one thing that mattered most. Everything else, all the other things, and specifically his rights, the things he's entitled to, he just says, they can come or go. I can hold them. I can drop them. He's ready to let go of them in order to serve that greater purpose. And so what that means is when he's eating with his Jewish friends at the diner, he doesn't order non-kosher, right? If it turns into a roadblock, if it's going to keep that conversation about Jesus from happening, hold the bacon. Just double up on the hash browns instead. It's not a problem. Uh, You know, he says to those who don't know the scripture, he doesn't lead with, thus saith the Lord, Right, It's just not where he's going to start. He's going to start where they are. He's going to meet them where they're at, maybe even with an 80s pop song line. Probably not, uh, but it's possible. Um, but what it's about is going out of the way to just meet people where they're at. Instead of the opposite, which is demanding you meet me where I'm at. We call that living intentionally, missional living, and it's the way every Christ follower, we're all called to live that way, to be attentive to those opportunities of how we can make connection with those God has placed in our life to be able to help share the gospel in one way or the other. So let me ask you, does anything about that at all sound vaguely familiar? Because it sounds me just a little bit like what what Jesus did it reminds me of Philippians 2 that Jesus when saying being very nature God did not count equality with God as something to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross it's almost like When you read that, you can almost hear the echoes of Jesus dropping his rights. Every step he took from heaven to earth to the cross, every step of that journey involved dropping the rights that he was entitled to, the privileges he enjoyed for the sake of our salvation. And so it's really no surprise that he'd call us as his followers to do the same as we set out to accomplish his purposes. So so let me wrap it up. I'll say this. there There is a daily battle going on in the life of every believer. Every day, we make the choice of what is today going to be about. Is it going to be about me and my rights doing what I want, what's best for me, or is it going to be about the gospel of Jesus and doing whatever I can to share the good news and live out God's call. Because one of those has got to drop. One is going to have to be set to the side so the other one can happen. You know, there's a, there's a subtle, seductive lie that I think the enemy is continually trying to whisper into the ears of the saints. Is what it is. You got to do what's best for you. That lie comes in many forms. And it's probably past time to call it out and say, no, you don't. You don't. We are subjected to these messages that try to make sacrifice sound like oppression and selfishness sound like something noble. And some of us have just bought that lie. That lie that says, if you aren't exercising your rights, if you aren't doing everything you could be doing, then you are somehow being suppressed and you're living some kind of second best life. Shut that voice out. Reject that lie. You have the freedom to exercise your rights, and you have just as much freedom not to. And sometimes that's exactly the appropriate thing to do. And maturity is knowing which to do when. But I think we can look at our lives and understand that the greatest realities, the things that matter the most, are not just us getting what we wanted, but it's the outcome of sacrifice, of, of dropping our rights for the sake of something better. Selflessness instead of selfishness. See, there's something worse that can happen to us than denying ourselves every right that we're entitled to. It's missing out on the call of God. Let's not let that happen. Pray with me together.